You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Now last week, we, in our introduction, we talked about the fact that family was God's idea. We took you all the way back to Genesis and kind of went through the Genesis uh, creation account and how God created family. That was his heart from the beginning. And from the beginning in chapter 3 of the Bible, uh, we know that, the, that Satan, he has attacked families right from the beginning and that the enemy is relentless. He is ruthless and he hates our stinking guts and he hates the institution of family. It's important for us to take our cues from the world, or not to take our cues from the world, excuse me, but instead to be rooted in God's word, amen? And we looked at the verse, Psalm 127, Psalm 127, verse 1, that uh, kind of shouted this out loud and clear. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, builds the home, unless the Lord builds the family, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord is in it, unless the Lord is at the center. And we asked the question last week, is God at the center of your family? That is a tough question, and it's going to be the key question along our journey through this series. And how would you know if the Lord was the center? Now, we had planned to, to do one week on marriage and then two weeks on raising kids, one from raising boys, then one raising girls. We, I told you we're going to talk about singleness. It's the, uh, uh, the, there are more singles today living in North America than ever in history. And then we're going to talk about extended family. Uh, but when, we talk, when I was looking and kind of laying out for this first week when we wanted to talk about marriage, let me just say there was so much flooding. I've read several books in the last several weeks on marriage. Uh, I was digging in online, listening and, and uh, researching, and I have decided that we're going to do more than one week on marriage, but today is the first of, of two weeks on marriage. I want to say this, that there are resources online when you go to thegatewayGH.com, to our website, um, that will help you in regards, because what we can do in two weeks, in two messages, is uh, just a, uh, it's like a scrape in the barrel. I mean, it's just barely getting in to what really is available in regards to resources and helps. And I just want to say that when it comes to marriage, no matter what your marriage situation might look like, it is not too late. It is, the time is now to redeem the time, to redeem what may have been lost or stolen. And the enemy, if he has won in your life in regards to marriage, uh, we can put a stop to that in Jesus' name, and we can see victory in marriages. Amen? And the key is to be rooted in God's Word. And so at this first week on marriage, I want to kind of set a backdrop in regards to God's Word, in regards to the difference between what the world would say and what God's Word would say. And with that, turn with me to John chapter 8. There are two verses here that we're going to kind of highlight. We'll start in verse 44 says, you belong to your father, the devil. This is Jesus talking to the Jews. And he wasn't making any friends by saying that. 
and you want to carry out your father's desires. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Can we just acknowledge that when the enemy is speaking, when the enemy is moving or trying to influence, it is full of lies. He's the father of lies, and we've got to acknowledge that Satan is a liar. How many are with me? Now, a few verses above that, we see the difference. Look at verse 32. Actually, let's start in verse 31. To the Jews uh, who believed him, Jesus was saying this. He's saying this to the Jews. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. The reason they'll know the truth is because they're believing in Jesus and what he says. And then what does it say? The truth will set you free. The truth will set us free. There is a difference between the truth and a lie. And this morning, we want to expose some lies, some myths about marriage. And what a myth is, it is a lie that we empower with our belief. By believing, we empower that lie, and it becomes a myth. It's the opposite of the truth. See, there are some very popular cultural myths that people believe in and act on and it leads to destruction because it's rooted in lies but for us as christ followers and i'm believing that the majority of us are we understand what god says about marriage and it's rooted in the word of god and that's where we're going to turn today we'll get there but we're going to expose some myths but let me ask you a question a little poll here unofficially uh, if I was at to ask a question or just make the statement that marriages today are taking a beating, how many would say that is true? Just raise your hand, all right? Okay. How many would say that might not be true? That might be false. All right. Okay. So most of us are saying that marriages are taking a beating this day and age. Well, it's interesting. The statistics are, are there's a variety around this. But there's one particular study. It's called the National Marriage Project. It's out of the University of Virginia. And they took a very unique and a different view on how to get results. And we'll talk about that throughout the message today. Uh, Bradford Wilcox was the director of this project. And really what they were looking for was the state of marriages uh, across the United States. And there were several things that are noted. We certainly don't have time to talk about all the results, but they noted in this study that the divorce rates have doubled since 1960. In 1970, 89% of children were born into a family where the couple was actually married. Today, indifference is that only 60% are born with married parents. Back to the 1960s, cohabitation was almost non-existence where people would live together before they got married. And today, out of the, uh, all the singles in 
North America, 90% of those will get married at some point. And all the singles said, amen, right? The sad news is that today, the statistics, where, not, where once cohabitation was almost non-existent, over 50%, in fact, what you could say is the majority will cohabitate before they're married. And that leads us to our first myth for the morning. Myth number one is that cohabitation helps marriage. It's a lie that we empower with our believing in our culture. And let me just say, I believe the Lord has given me a word of, from the, right from, from heaven for, for some that are here today, that if you are dating and you're living with someone, you need to stop now. And if you are sleeping with someone before you're married, you need to stop now. This is the word of the Lord. Go home, pack your stu- stuff, and move now. And I understand that, you know, that that might be difficult to hear for some. Cohabitation does not help marriages. It's a myth if you thought otherwise. If you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, and I snuck in the 40s because it talks about the 1970s, um, you were, we were born into a massive experiment, a social experiment that some call the sexual revolution. Historically, before this time, we didn't see the hookup, the shack up before marriage, but now it is seen all in culture and it's even permeated the church. And the lie that is attached to this is that marriage is so serious that we need to practice to try it out before we are married. It's become somewhat normative to cohabitate. And this is not representative of God's idea. The Bible is pretty clear. It uses a word that is unusual for us, but it's a word that describes living and sleeping together before marriage. The word in Scripture is fornication, and you can do your own study on that. It's, it is sinful conduct, and it is causing havoc on marriages today. Some singles will ask when it comes to cohabitation, well, where is the line? You know, how far can we go? And I just want to say, I believe that's the wrong question. The right question is this, when is the time to cohabitate, to be together, to be intimate, to have relations? And the right answer, or the right question is, when is the time? And the answer is in marriage, amen? It's why God encourages us to guard our hearts. He encourages us in the Song of Solomon not to awaken love until the right time. And when it comes to cohabitation, here's some facts for you. Cohabitation increases rates of divorce by 33%. So if you want to avoid divorce in a greater fashion, don't cohabitate. How about depression? Among those who are cohabitating, it's three times higher than married couples. It's significant. How about for women? Women are twice as likely to be abused in a cohabitating situation rather than being married in in a monogamous relationship. Church, there is nothing safe 
godly, holy, about cohabitating. Now, let's get crazy here for a moment. And I know it, it's kind of quiet, Bobby. <laughs> let's, just, let's just imagine, what if you didn't live with your boyfriend and you didn't sleep with your girlfriend before you were married? I know for some here, that may be a new concept, all right? And you practice abstinence and self-control, all right? Are you with me? What would marriage look like if that was the case? Well, this study studied this. Your rate of happiness would skyrocket. Marital satisfaction is higher. The odds of conflict are lower. And the percentage of divorce literally falls off a cliff if that was the case. God's way is still the best way. And when we think about family, that there's issues and there's matters, there's, there's things we have to attend to, we've got to set ourselves up for success. And cohabitation is the wrong direction. That's myth number one, that cohabitation helps marriage. It's a lie. Myth number two is this, that contractual marriage works. Now, our culture is, is dominated by contracts. If you get a cell phone, you're in contract, right? If there's a credit card, you're signing something away. If you rent a car, you buy a house. I was studying yesterday at a coffee house, and uh, right sitting at the next table, there was, a, I believe, a single mom and her little girl. Uh, and boy, the girls were just as cute as a button. But they were sitting there, and someone joined them, and they were working on, it sounded like, a rental agreement for their house. And it was a, I'm sure it was rental, not a purchase agreement, uh, just by the what I heard, and there were pages and pages and pages of signing, and the next and the next, and it, was, and it took them like 30 minutes to get through it all, and I was like, man, just to rent a house or rent a place, come on, and there's nothing wrong with contracts. In fact, in most, in most cases, a contract is smart in this day and age. You want to protect yourself, and you want to protect the, uh, on both sides, but when it comes to marriage, that is not God's idea of a, a marriage. In fact, it's not a contract that God desires. He desires a covenant, and there's a big difference. A contract is between two people. A covenant is between three, where it includes God in the mix. Let me give you some, some just contrast here. Uh, a contract would seek your own interest, where a covenant would say, you don't seek your own interest, but God's interest. You seek the interest of others. It's a we, not me. A contract will negotiate terms for your favor. A covenant, there is no negotiating. We serve each other on God's terms. How many are with me? A contract keeps records of performance keeps records of wrongs. A covenant, there is no record of wrongs, and we're going to talk about that next week, most likely. If you fail me in a contract, there will be a punishment. It will cost you. There may be shame or blame or withdrawal or neglect. There may be a little yelling or a discouragement. But in a covenant, there is no punishment. Instead, there's forgiveness you release the debt. In a contract, you want to win. And there's nothing wrong with winning in some areas. But when it comes to a marriage covenant, 
The goal is to worship together, to give and to not to get. That is what a covenant is. A covenant is destined to life. A contract is destined to death and marriages. That's myth number two. A contractual marriage works. The third is interesting. The third myth I want to just talk about is that Christian marriages are no different than non-Christian marriages. This is our third and final myth for the morning. The difference between Christian and non-Christian, does it really matter? And I would say absolutely. We may get a bad rap uh, from society that, oh, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Some would say, and maybe you've heard this, the divorce rates in Christian families is the same as it is in the world. That is false, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but the chances of happiness you know, are no different from a Christian family to a non-Christian family. That is false. This National Marriage Project uh, had different criteria coming in. To, to get good data. How many know there's a difference when someone says, I'm a Christian, and then does nothing about that, there's no fruit in their lives, compared to someone that, who actually does read the Bible, who actually does pray, who actually does go to church, who actually does serve in some sort of way. Is there a big difference there? There's a huge difference. And they got at this in this study. The results are amazing. Let's talk about the husbands. How many Christian husbands do we have here? Just let me see your hands. You're going to love this, guys. The, the, this is the truth. Going to church as a husband, just the fact that you're here this morning puts you in a different league all of your own. It matters that you're here today. You are not submitting to a worldly authority, but by being here, you're coming under the authority of the church and you are seeing examples of godliness and there is something different about you, godly men. Church-going husbands, listen to this, they express more positive emotions, they're more attentive, attentive to marriage, they're less likely to be domestically violent, Christian or church-going husbands serve their wives more. They make more time for date nights and they invest more in their wives. Church-going husbands are better husbands, period. And you say, well, <laughs> my husband, um, I'm not so sure that's the case. Well, just imagine if he wasn't here, okay? <laughs> there are no perfect situations and there is still a lot of work to do, guys. We can't just hang on that, those statistics. The results, when they looked at conservative Protestant men that have kids in the mix, conservative Protestant men with kids are more active and are more engaged as fathers. They're more likely to spend time with youth in a coaching or a mentoring or in a sports context. Men attending church yell less at their kids in this study. Now let's talk about couples that are here. If you're here as a couple, couples who regularly attend church have greater marital happiness. They have greater re, uh, results in regards to romance. They have a greater marital support. 
couples who pray together, things just begin to get better and better. There's a strong identity uh, of security. And they, their intimate relationships are much higher than those that do not pray together. The most intimate part of a relationship is not the physical. It's actually spiritual. And if God is not at the center of your marriage couples, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But man, you bring God into the center. and There's something spiritual and physical that comes together that is supernatural. The bottom line for Christian couples, couples who regularly attend church together, are far less likely to separate and get divorced. That's the truth. Because of this covenant relationship where God is involved, God is at the center, church, it makes a difference. Now, having God at the center, does that make us perfect? Not a chance, right? Let's be real. If you're married here today, let's just take a little poll. Um, how many of you have said or thought, I can't do this anymore? Don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> how many have said or thought, just think about it in your mind, have said, I can't forgive again? I can't love. I, can't, I cannot put up with the behavior. I can't stand it anymore. I, let me just say, I can say here today, uh, Jessica will be here second service. She's serving in the nursery this morning. Uh, 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 we have had thoughts like this and probably have said things similar in our 21 years of marriage. The truth is, is that every marriage at some point will find itself at the end of its natural resources. Where you're saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I cannot do this unless there's some sort of intervention. And the only way forward when you're at that line, when you're ready to give up, is to look to supernatural resources. If you are married, I want you just to consider, you don't have to, to hold hands for the rest of the service as we talk about some of these supernatural resources. This is exciting, what I'm about to share. There are spiritual, supernatural powers that are available for Christian marriages. And what's great is when we talk about this, it's the same power that Jesus utilized. If Jesus could forgive, then you can. If Jesus could love, then you can. If he sends his Holy Spirit into our lives and his life extends right through our lives. There are three myths that we talked about. Now I want to switch to three spirit truths relating to marriages. And the first is this. Truth number one, I am forgiven Therefore, I can forgive. Listen, there are no great marriages without a whole lot of forgiveness. Either you forgive or you get bitter. It goes from hurt to hate to bitterness. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 
you say, well, wait, do you mean Ephesians 5? No, we're going to get there next week because Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 really kind of give a picture for uh, Christian marriage, husbands, wives specifically. But I want to back up because it's, this is all right before, uh, before Paul talks to the church in Ephesus about submitting to one another and uh, ideas for wives, or ideas for husbands. He's talking about Christian living in general, uh, but this is paramount to be able to bring this into our marriage. Let's look at verse 30. We'll start there. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. The idea here, before you even talk about roles in marriage, husbands and wives, there must be this idea of forgiveness. Where there is forgiveness, the Holy Spirit is flowing. How many would agree? And it says right there, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So we've got to keep those avenues of forgiveness at work. How many here have, have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Just show me your hands real quick. All right, you know Jesus as your personal Savior. What that means is that you are forgiven. If you've accepted Jesus in your heart, He has taken your sin as far as the east is from the west. That's the truth, and that's good news. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, you're not a believer, you are not forgiven. And that's a scary place to be. But for those that are, if you know Christ, then you're forgiven. And because you've been forgiven, you can forgive as well. It has to be shared. You must forgive according to Scripture. And so this morning, my question to you is, have you forgiven your spouse? Have you forgiven your spouse? And in every circumstance that is represented here, it's different. But I guarantee you that at some point, if you've been married more than a day, there's some sort of forgiveness that's needed. And my encouragement to myself and to you, because I love you, I want to encourage you to forgive to forgive deeply, completely, in a Christ-honored way. Truth number one is because you're forgiven, you can forgive. Truth number two is that you are loved. And because you're loved, you can love. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I love this little section here of, of verse it says, and hope does not put us to shame. How many know that how hope is important in our lives, in our marriages? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, if you are a Christ follower, the love of God has been poured out on you, has been lavished on you 
far more than you ever deserve or could even imagine. The love of Christ is so complete, it's so perfect, and it's been poured out into your lives. And I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you are loved. Now, our need to be loved is is met first and foremost in our relationship with Jesus. So what that means is that the pressure is off when it comes to our marriages to some extent. I do not need Jessica to be God. She does not have to love me completely for me to be completely loved. And that's good news, not only for me, but it's good news in response because I know that I do not love Jessica in a perfect way. But that doesn't mean she's not loved perfectly. Do you, are you following me? The truth is, is that love from God, it helps us love our spouses. You say, well, I can't love because of the circumstances in our relationship. You say, and, and you know, you can fill in the blanks. You, you understand what you may be facing. And I want to say that, yes, you're right. You cannot do it on your own. I love the example of when we raise kids. Uh, how many know that our kids need a good set of parents, right? And when it comes to, let's say, the summer and it's Coast Guard Festival and your kids are saying, hey, can I get some ice cream downtown? Uh, what do we do? We, we say to our kids, well, yeah, go ahead and you get it yourself, right? And let, I mean, so let's say they're four or five years old, right? Is that realistic? Right? <laughs> no, unless they're just cute and go up and, you know, maybe the puppy eyes. I mean, they've got a better idea of getting it free than I guess we would, right, as adults. But... Uh, the truth is, is that that child in that moment, they need us as parents to step up and pay for the ice cream so they can enjoy it. They cannot do it on their own. And so they take our money and they keep on taking it and it doesn't seem to stop. I don't know at, at what point that happens. Preach it. <laughs> Preach it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And I want you to see that in the same way, in a marriage relationship, we cannot love in a perfect manner. So what we need to do is we need to take God's love and share it with our spouse. Love through you to your spouse. Jesus' love through you to your spouse. If you're with me, say amen. <laughs> These are spirit truths. Spirit truth number one, you're forgiven. And because you're forgiven, you can forgive. Number two, you are loved. And because you are loved, you can love. And it may be tough and it may be difficult, but you can do it. Number three, and this is the last one for this morning. God is one. Therefore, I can be one with my spouse. This is the truth. There are not two different lives when it's a husband and wife. They are one. And what I want to do is paint a picture, go back to Scripture, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. When I was a kid's pastor, this is one of my favorite passages because after verse 4, it talks about uh, teaching these commandments 
to your kids and impressing these things on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk the road and when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house. And you're saying, what are we talking about? Well, let's go and look at it in verse number four. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the encouragement. But when it says that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. This is something that was said in that culture uh, three times a day. The Lord is one. And it's describing this Trinitarian idea, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is a profound mystery. It's describing the spiritual essence of God. Now, that's in Deuteronomy. If you go to the very beginning of all Scripture, Genesis chapter 2, so the second chapter, we see something very similar. Describing marriages. Verse 24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Two become one. It's actually not two becoming one. It's actually a covenant relationship. Three equaling one. It's the definition of marriage from the very beginning of time. And let me just say, it has not changed. If Moses said it, and Jesus uh, endorsed it, and Paul talked about it, it's all the same way. It's the same yesterday as it was today, as it will be tomorrow. Marriage is husband, wife coming together. The two become one. And really, it's this idea of covenant relationship. The three become one. And it's a profound mystery, Paul says just like the essence of God. We don't understand it. We can't fully get our mind around it, but it's the truth. It's a spiritual truth that will bless your marriage. This is why Satan attacks marriages so much. It's an interesting thought. I was thinking about this and kind of studying. Uh, One commentator said that Satan never even showed up until Adam had Eve. Adam and Eve together is a picture of God. Father, the God, the Son, Jesus, right? And Adam is a picture of of Jesus, or is a type of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit, get this. How is the Holy Spirit described in the New Testament? He's described as the helper, right? Isn't that what Eve is described as? The helper? And so we got Father, God, of course, and that's all the same. But then we got the Son, Jesus, and Adam is a type of Jesus. And then we have the Holy Spirit in re- referring to Eve as the helper. This is a picture of this triune God, a, a triune covenant of marriage, three people. Church, this will blow your mind. Marriage is a covenantal union designed by God to enable both partners to fully live out their divine purpose for being. It's this idea of oneness, this idea that we are better together, and it, this oneness is absolutely possible. Now, there are three types of marriages that, that some describe. The first is a back 
back-to-back relationship, kind of standing back-to-back. That would describe a relationship where there's anger and fighting and strife. Nobody wants a back-to-back type relationship, that type of marriage. The next is a shoulder-to-shoulder type relationship in marriage. The idea that, oh, we're just roommates, not soul mates. The idea that we live life together, we do things together, but we're shoulder-to-shoulder. And again, I would say that is a unfulfilled, a a lesser degree of a marriage than what God desires for us. But there's a third type of marriage, and it's face-to-face. And I think it describes a God-type of marriage. Face-to-face, this oneness. And the truth is, is one day we will meet Jesus face-to-face. Amen? But we can experience heaven on earth in our marriages when we live in a face-to-face oneness type of relationship. Now, we want to focus on the truth this morning. And I understand that when we talk about marriage, especially coming out of the guns, maybe a little heavier than you expected, We know that the truth is what sets us free. And so let's just talk about this forgiveness piece for a moment as we move into a response time. If you are not forgiven this morning, if you have not accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. There's no reason for you to walk out of here without knowing Jesus as your personal Savior. And if and if we want to just give you that opportunity this morning. In fact, if you're here, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. This is a moment, uh, intimate moment between you and the Lord. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and are ready to accept Him, to follow Him, to serve Him, if you're ready to be forgiven, I want you just to raise your hand this morning. I want to pray for you. Who in first service here needs salvation, needs Jesus, just slip up your hand right where you are. Anyone at all. First service. All right. Now I'm going to ask that you just keep your head bowed and eyes closed, and there's a few questions I want to ask as we kind of wrap up our time this morning. If you have been forgiven, and let's just assume that we have because No one responded to the first response or the first call. If you have been forgiven, the Bible is clear that we as believers must forgive. And if you're here this morning with your head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, and you'd say, yes, I need to forgive, but Lord, I need your help to forgive in a circumstance. I want you just to lift your hand right where you are. Yeah. Lots of hands all over this place. Yeah. Who else? Say, man, Lord, I need your help to forgive today. We're going to come back. You can put your hands down. Anyone else describing that? That forgiveness piece is so critical. Let's move on to that second truth, that love that identity that you are loved perfectly 
I want to just speak that this morning. I want to declare it. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. And because you are loved, you can love as well. If you're here this morning and you say, man, I want to love others better. I cannot do it on my own. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you. If you're saying, Lord, help me to love others better, I want you just to slip up your hand right where you are. Yeah, lots of hands. This is a tough one. This is one that is, is difficult. And it may be in regards to a home situation, a family situation, extended family. It could be a work situation. It could be students at school, uh, co-workers, uh, whatever the case might be. Lord, help me to love others better. Who else? Who's saying, yep, that's me. I need that help today. Absolutely. You can put your hands down. And then the last piece is just for those that are married here. Please, with every head bowed and eyes closed, the Lord is working. If you are here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I don't feel close to my mate. I want to just describe to you the reason, a reason for that. In my experience, any time that I have felt a distance between Jessica I have realized that there is always a spiritual component. There's selfishness, maybe unresolved sin, unforgiveness. And what I want you in your own mind to, to understand or to, under, to kind of get a picture of is the profound mystery of covenant. If you can imagine in your mind a triangle with God being at the top of the triangle and then your husband at one point and you at the other for those that are wives. So we got husband, wife, and God. The picture of covenant is that oneness is possible as you pursue God. As a husband and wife makes their way towards God, they will get closer and closer. And if you're not feeling close, or if you have a lack of oneness, or you feel like your covenant has been damaged in some way, the answer is for you to get close to God. And I'm just wondering how many here this morning say, man, that's where I am today. I need to address my relationship with the Lord. I need to pursue God. Just slip up your hand right where you are. And I understand that this is serious. This is something that God is stirring inside of many that are here. Yeah, hands are going up. Who else? Be honest, just in the quiet moment, in this moment saying, God, help me to understand this profound mystery. Who else? Just slip up your hand. You can put your hands down. Those that have them up. Now, your heads have been bowed for a while, eyes closed. Wake up. I want your eyes on me here for a moment. In fact, I want you to stand this morning. As we close here this morning, you may have raised your hand for a whole lot of reasons, for the idea of forgiveness or that you need help, saying, Lord, help me forgive. 
Or maybe you're saying, Lord, help me to love someone else. Or maybe you're saying, Lord, help me to be more uh, in relationship, closer in my relationship with my spouse. Whatever the case might be, I believe that a response is to, be, to find yourself at the altar. To find yourself at the altar. And I'm just going to, we're going to open up the altars this morning. And Pastor Bobby is just going to lead us in a song and just kind of move in that direction. And what we want to do is create an atmosphere where God can meet us. And so I'm just going to ask that just for the next few moments that no one leave. But if you want to respond, we can turn the lights down. And I want you just to come. If you raise your hand for any of those things, and there's a whole lot of us that did, I understand that. But just come and find yourself in God's presence and tell him right exactly what you need in regards to your relationship. Let's do that all across this place. You ready, Pastor Bob? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God, we find ourselves at your altar, God. Lord, speak to us. Move in our hearts, God. We commit our ways to you, God. Oh, Jesus, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, for those that raised their hands and said, Lord, I need your help to forgive. Lord, I pray that you would bring the help, a Holy Spirit dose of forgiveness to work through us as your people. And God, that you would bring forgiveness to our relationships, to our families. God, we know that family matters. It's important. And in regards to family matters, issues, God, forgiveness better be the key. And Lord, we just ask for your help from the front to the back, those that are experiencing trouble in this area. There's a resistance or a pain that seems too deep or too hard to forgive. God, I pray that your healing balm would just overflow in every circumstance. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And God, I pray for those that have said, Lord, help me to love. Help me to love in a better way. And hands went up all over. God, mine is, as well. God, I pray that we would grow in love and we would understand that it's not love that we can conjure up ourselves. It's your love working through us because family matters, because it's important and we better keep love at the center. And for those, I pray, that are struggling in relationship those marriages that several that raise their hands saying, man, I, I wish there was a closeness, a more of a oneness. God, I pray right now for those circumstances. Lord, that you would just breathe life. You would breathe a newness. And God, it's not something, again, that we can do on our own, but God, it's because of your covenant relationship. And God, I pray that this idea of this triangle, God, as a husband and wife goes towards you with all their heart, Lord, they will be stronger together. That picture of covenant will be realized as they pursue you at the top. And God, I pray for every marriage here that we never lose that wonder of pursuing you first, keeping you 
at the center because the results are unparalleled. It makes the, all the difference in the world. It safeguards family when we keep you at the center. And Lord, I pray for those that have struggled where the, you have not been the center. Even those that didn't raise their hands, but, but Lord, you are, are speaking to hearts, I believe, even at this moment. God, I pray that we would turn from our selfishness and we turn towards you. We'd surrender our unresolved sin and we would turn to you. We would turn to you, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. And God, I pray this. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here this morning, that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. And Lord, even on a uh, heavy topic day, Lord, I pray that every single person here would choose righteousness. We'd pursue you, that you would be the center of our lives. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit has spoke to each heart in a different way. And now go with us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Dot com.